Let's jump in. I'm going to have to move fast. I feel, I feel, um, I kind of want to give you a pop quiz, but I'm not going to. So everybody say thank you. Oh, this side wants a pop quiz. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I didn't hear anything from that side. So the big idea, we've had the same big idea for the last four weeks. We're going to have it all the way through this entire series. And so if I start it, I bet you can finish it. Oh, because it's on the screen. Look at that. Man, y'all are good. Who we have in common is more powerful than what we don't, right? How many of you are just like sick of hearing that? Anybody sick of hearing no, because it's so good, right? And, and man, do we ever need this truth, right? If we, goodness gracious, unless you're living under a rock, you know we need this truth in our, in our culture, in our society. Um, this morning, we are going to look at two apostles that really drive home that big idea. I mean, if, if you could pick two of the 12 and... Look at, and we, well, we did. We picked two of the 12, and we're going to look at them. But if you, if you, could, if you could pick two of the 12 that you would say would never in a bazillion years be in the same room together, these are the two. These are the two that, that drive this point home like no other. So this morning, we're going to talk about a trader and a nationalist. How fun is that going to be, right? A tax collector and a nationalist. We're going to talk about Matthew, and we're going to talk about Simon, um, and we're going to kind of see how the relationship was changed because of Jesus, and we're going to kick it all off with a really quick video clip of Matthew getting called. We live in the same, we live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. 
Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. I can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. So Matthew was a tax collector. We need to understand why people didn't like tax collectors so much. So here's a couple facts about tax collectors. No one, first of all, even today, likes paying the government. Can I get an amen? amen. That's the best point I've ever made in this church, isn't it? The best point I've ever made in this church. Nobody likes to pay the government. And the tax collectors, um, made, they, they were the ones that, that bore the fury of that. Um, to kind of get a, a feel for that, how many of you have ever been to a restaurant? <laughs> Boy, you can't, my daughter's, how we, she can relate to this. You've been to a restaurant, you've ordered your food, and it came back, it wasn't the way you ordered it. Did you get up and go back and talk to the chef? No. You probably took it out on the server, right? Yeah, all of us are feeling conviction right now. No judgment, I'm just saying that's kind of how tax collectors were. They were the go-between. And so people that hated paying the government they didn't think about, like, I hate the government. They thought, I hate this tax collector who's taking my money and then giving it to the government. They were the ones in the middle, and so people hated it. Now, in Jesus' day, tax collectors were Jews that were working for the Roman government. So they were traitors, right? They were seen as unclean because they worked closely with Gentiles and with Romans. In Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, Jesus tells this parable. And here's what he says. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, that's a religious leader, and the other was a despised tax collector. Don't you love how the Bible says stuff? The Pharisee stood by himself, wouldn't get near this guy, and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, you know, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. That was his prayer. That's how the religious people saw tax collectors. They saw them as unclean. They were cheats. Luke chapter 19, verse 8, tells a story about Zacchaeus coming to know Jesus. And here's what Zacchaeus said right after he met Jesus. I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Now, when he was saying, if I've cheated, it was like, you know, Jesus just kind of chuckled. Like, you're adorable. If you've cheated, they always cheated. So what they would do is they would tell people, this is how, like, they knew how much they owed Rome, but then they would add on top of that even more money, and they would keep that for themselves. So they were skimming off the top all the time. So these were Jews that got rich by cheating their own people. As a matter of fact, if you've watched The Chosen, it's possible that Matthew cheated some of the disciples. So the very disciples, the very fishermen that he is going to follow Jesus with, he probably cheated them when they paid their taxes. It's easy to see why even as he collected taxes, that Peter and the others would maybe not want to follow Jesus with him. We can also see why Jesus loved Matthew. Now, here's what I love this, two, two verses about Matthew. Luke chapter 5, verse 28. You just saw this portrayed. 
portrayed in front of you. It says this, so Matthew got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Left everything. So he gave it all up, and then he mixed it all up. He went to a dinner party that he threw, Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Here's what it says. Later, in other words, that same day, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy. Not offer sacrifices. I have come to call those who, not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So Matthew, he gave it all up and then he mixed it all up. I love that. You know, Matthew wasn't like some of us who try to um, have the right people come to our house. Right? He's just like, hey, all I know are tax collectors and sinners. So, um, hey, y'all come on, come meet this guy named Jesus that just called me away from what I was doing. Some some takeaways from Matthew's call, just a couple really quickly. One, there's no circumstance that stops the call of God. Now, Peter thought that there was, right? He's like, um, like, he's a tax collector, as if that makes him off the list. Don't consider ever asking a tax collector to follow follow you, Jesus. But there's not any circumstance in his life, nor in ours, that stops the call of God. And I love this. Second takeaway. Listen closely. Matthew's past uniquely positioned him in the present to point others to a better future. He was a tax collector. That was his past. And so that positioned him to get the right people into a party who could have their future destinies changed by Jesus. Listen, we try to run away from our past. Is it possible that your history has positioned you perfectly to change somebody's destiny? I would say that it is. In fact, I would say that if you would lean into that, the greatest pain you've had in your life is probably going to be your best ministry. Now, Simon. So that's Matthew. That's the tax collector. That's the traitor, right? Simon, um, he was called a zealot, so let's make sure we understand what that means. So zealots got that name because, check this out, they were zealous. See how that works? Oh, you're zealous. You must be a zealot. They go together, right? So he got that because he was zealous for the law. But, but here's the history of zealots. Number one, they were a movement that strongly opposed Roman rule. They wanted Israel to be a free nation. And so what first was a zeal about religion, like they were all about keeping the law, it turned into something a little more than just about the law and just about religion. It became more militaristic, and they became much more nationalistic. So I need to explain what nationalism is. Nationalism is basically my country is more important than anything. It's not the same as being a patriot. It's like everything has to flow through the American, the, the Jewish, the whatever country it is, grid. And that's what it means to become a nationalist. And so they would use anything that they could to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish for their country. They would bribe. They would kill. They would do whatever they had to do to establish what they thought their country should be. That's what it meant to be a nationalist. 
And so the zealot movement, it never actually accomplished its purpose. I'm just giving you some history even beyond Simon the Zealot's life. And I don't know if you've ever heard of um, in 70 A.D., the Romans came in and they destroyed Jerusalem, just like burned it to the ground, wiped it out. They did that because of zealots. So the zealots actually never accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. They never overthrew the government. The government actually came in and destroyed the Jews' holy city because of the zealots. So when, when this is being written later on, and it says Simon the zealot, that's the, the concept that's going on whenever they use that term. So some takeaways from Simon's call. This is huge, y'all. The kingdom is about freeing the heart more than freeing a nation. Oh, that was the American silence I expected. I'll say it again. The kingdom is about freeing a heart more than freeing a nation. And I love being in a free nation. And some of y'all are like, are we? <laughs> it's debatable maybe, right? But, like, I love, I, I love being American. Like, but the kingdom is about freeing the heart more than freeing a nation. We could all jump on a little jet and take a trip to the underground church of China, right? And see a lot of hearts being set free in a country that's not. The kingdom is more about the heart than the nation. And then number two, what we're for is far more important than what we're against. Now, here's the one huge takeaway. I am killing this message. I'm killing this. This is so good. I don't even think you realize how good this message is. It's okay, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive it home, and you'll be like, man, I, he thought it was good, but it was really great, right? So in Matthew's list of the, of the disciples, do you know that there's, we talked about labels a couple weeks ago. There's only two disciples in Matthew's list that have qualifiers next to their name. Anybody, anybody want to guess who the two are? I'm going to go out on a limb and say Matthew and Simon. Anybody want to go there with me? Yeah, you're right. They're the only two. It says Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. And I got to thinking about that. Because who wrote Matthew? Good job. Good job. These are all such easy questions, and you're still afraid to say them out loud. I don't, and I don't know why that is. You're the smart one, I can tell. And you're still scared to say it. So who wrote Matthew. Still only this side. I'm going to try one more time. Who wrote Matthew? Good job, y'all. They're a little slow. They need coffee. We need to bring coffee back just because I can tell, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. I believe this. I believe that the unity that was established between Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, was so powerful that when Matthew was moved by the Holy Spirit to record this list, he made sure that people never forgot that their labels should have kept them apart, but Jesus brought them together. Listen to this quote from a, a commentator that I was reading. He says this, The fact that Simon and Matthew were both disciples of Jesus is highly instructive. We cannot think of two men more opposite Matthew was the tax gatherer. Simon was the tax hater. Matthew was the unpatriotic traitor. Simon was the patriotic loyalist. Apart from Christ, Simon and Matthew would have been great enemies. 
the fact that these two men could be together, work together, eat together, serve together, and learn together is one of the great miracles of Christ's transforming power. I mean, if we were picking two disciples who were at polar opposites, these are the two guys, right? And so here's, here we're working towards the, the one huge takeaway, and we got to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, to, to tell you what it is. And here's what Galatians 3, 28 says. It says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's what I need you to understand about that so we can get this big takeaway. In the culture when Paul was writing, he just, he just made, like you saw it, right? There are six, six different labels, three pairs of groups, right? These were the three biggest divisions in that culture. Men looked down on women. Jews looked down on Gentiles. If you were a slave, you hated free people. If you were a free person, you thought slaves weren't even like real people. And Paul used the biggest divisions to drive home his point. That, and here it is. Here's the takeaway. Jesus crosses divides that we cannot. See, Matthew and Simon, can, can you all come back up? I think we need some good, like, closing music. Yeah, can we do that? Come give me some good closing music. The kind of music that's going to make them be like, that was a powerful point. It's already a powerful point, but they need some help. I can sense it. I don't know what that is either. Whatever y'all decide. Sweet Home Alabama. I don't know. Who knows? I don't think it's going to be that, but we'll see, right? (laughs) It could be. One of the myths that we have bought, one of the lies that we have bought, is so if I say, how many, raise your hand if you believe in unity. If you believe in unity, raise your hand if you believe in unity. Every hand's going to go up, right? Because we believe in it. I mean, it's true. But here's the lie that we bought. We believe that unity is possible as long as the divide is very small. So if I said something like, if we talked about preferences, right? If I said, hey, listen, um, I know not all of you like two-tone chairs, but, you know, it's better than, like, the 70s burnt orange or the blue of the 80s or the, the, the mauve. At some point, mauve was in pink. Holy cow. All these colors, I want to throw up just thinking about them. But, like, we can bridge those differences, right? We could say, okay, this, these might not be my favorite color chairs, but I'm, I get it. We'll be okay. We'll come together for the sake of the gospel. And so we, we think that that's unity, and it kind of is. But what I want you to see is that Paul in Galatians and the fact that Matthew, a task collector, could serve Jesus along with Simon, a zealot, the Bible picks the biggest divides to show the power of the gospel. And, and I think we've forgotten that. See, Matthew and Simon, they didn't just bow their preferences to the gospel. They bowed their principles to the cross. And principles are what's driving us apart. Well, this is what I believe. Well, this is what I believe. And we just, the wedge gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if we're not careful, 
we're going to think that that's normal. And in the kingdom, it's not. In the kingdom, that's not normal. Did you feel the power of that last point when I started playing? Did you feel it? I felt, I felt it. That's it. So here's what I want to call you to this morning. I want to call you to see the gospel again with fresh eyes. A, a, a donkey and an elephant is not an impossible divide. Now, if you watch enough media, you think it is. But if you listen to the king, you know it's not an impossible divide. We have let culture push us so far apart that we think, we really think this. Well, the preacher said the gospel can cross that divide, but practically I don't think it really can because I don't see that happening in my life. So we try to come together on little bitty things and think that that's a win. And he wants to display in our culture a gospel that bridges people from far apart. When you were far away, he came and brought the gospel near to you in Christ Jesus. And so that's what we take away from Matthew and from Simon, is that the Bible identifies them as a tax collector and as a zealot, not because we hold them to that and go, well, that's what you'll always be. But he's saying, no, that's what we were. We were on polar opposites. And, and then we walked and served together. Both of these men died as martyrs for the same Jesus. Both of them. I think sometimes maybe, maybe Matthew looked around to make sure Simon didn't have his sword coming out, right? Like, you know, like, why is he sitting near me at the campfire while Jesus is talking? And can you take his sword away from him, right? I'm sure that there were moments when they had to work through stuff. But they followed Jesus together. And I want you to know that we can do the same thing. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Will you close your eyes as I read this over you and then ask you a simple question. Then Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If any, listen, the call is given to all. Can I just challenge us with this? I think the price might only be paid by a few. But what we're learning in this Party of Twelve series is that Jesus only needs a few. And He can change the world. And I want to ask you this morning, as your eyes are closed, as you're just considering you and Jesus, will you be one of the few? He says, I will live that out. I don't have all the answers, but I will live that out. I will help show the world a cross that bridges the biggest divides. And if that is you, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'll live that out. I will live that out in front of my neighbors. In front, I'll live it out when I go vote. I'll live it out after I vote, right? I'm going to live that out. And I'm just going to let you... Um, Seal this moment just singing this simple chorus. Whatever they've got for us, you just sing it. I'm going to ask you to stand and sing it with them, and I'll pray us out when we're done, okay?
Come on, lift those hands. Let's just pray right now to receive that fire. God, in your name, Jesus, I pray that you would fill us, Lord, with the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. God, that is the Holy Spirit. That power is what's going to bring us together. God, when Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one, he followed that up by sending the Holy Spirit. And your Spirit is drawing us closer and closer to Jesus and closer and closer to one another. And I pray that you would send us out this morning, God, full of the power of your Spirit. God, ready to spill out into the streets of this city. Spill out into the cubicle next to us at work. To the people that we're around when we go to shop, God. I pray that you would spill out from us, Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit. And you would call others into this great gospel that unites people who should never be in the room together. And yet there they are, not just in the room together, but serving and worshiping and working for Jesus together. I pray you would mark us with that kind of a love. Mark us with that kind of a fire, God, and that it would be a display to the city that this is what Jesus can do. And we thank you for it, God, in your name, Jesus. Somebody say amen.